Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be uh, in the Word of God this morning. It surely is an honor to be here and to uh, stand before you this morning, and I don't take that lightly. Uh, it's always an honor to open the Word of God and to share uh, the greatest truth, uh, the only truth that matters in this world uh, with His church. And uh, so today, let's stand uh, together, and we're going to read in the Luke chapter 24, and we're going to begin reading in verse 30, and we'll read a couple of verses here as we uh, start off here together. And when he was at the table with them, he being Jesus, he took the bread and he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? Let's pray again together. Father, we come before you today, Lord, as the great Lord of the universe. And Father, we ask that you would bless everything that happens here this morning. Father, as we dive into your word and as we uh, see what you have for us today, I, I pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct everything. I pray the power of your spirit would move here in this place and would open up the scriptures and the truth there to each and every person here, Lord. And I pray that you would be magnified and glorified. Lord, that is my goal today. That the name of Jesus would be proclaimed and lifted up. Lord, that today we would leave here saying, what a mighty Savior is Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray your blessing today on this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. How important is truth? How important is truth. Let me answer that question by asking another question. How important is the main beam that runs underneath your house? A few years ago, uh, our neighbor had passed away and the family was selling his house. And I thought about that for a while. I thought maybe I could buy that house if he ever leaves and and fix it up and flip it and and, uh, and make a couple bucks off of it. And so I went to check it out when they had it for sale. And I I was walking through. I hadn't been in his house for a long, long time. And I was walking through and I saw, okay, yeah, the kitchen needs some work. Definitely this area of the house, it needs some work. But nothing prepared me for what I saw when I got to the other end of the house. I got to the other end of the house where the bedrooms were. And I saw, I walked in one bedroom and I turned around and looked around and I saw... The ceiling or the wall had pulled away from the ceiling by a couple inches. I wanted in another bathroom and looked and, and there was a, you know, those, 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 those cracks that go away for, you know, up, up in your door frame. You know, they, they start at the corner of your door and they go up. Well, this crack was so big, I could slide my hand through it all the way through the other side of the sheetrock too. I mean, the whole, it was all the way through. It was, it was in really bad shape back there. And I, I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on here. So I went and, I went down to the crawl space and, uh, went outside the house and went down to the, got ready to get through the crawl space. And I don't know, guys, maybe it's just me, but I gotta really psych myself up to get into the crawl space of my house. And, and, and this, this wasn't even my house. So I really had to psych myself up, you know, pump myself up because all the bad stuff lives in the crawl space. You know that? You know, snakes and spiders and all that good stuff. And so, and I know one day I'm going to be crawling through a crawl space and the snakes can be staring me right in the eye and I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I may just pray, Lord Jesus, take me right there. But so I, I psyched myself up. I got down to this crawl space and I'm crawling through and, 
And I saw right away the problem. Uh, I could see the termite mud tunnels everywhere. I went back to over where the bad spots were underneath the bedrooms there. And I started checking out the floor joists and uh, rotten. All of them were bad. I went over to the main beam, the main beam that ran along the entire house that was holding the entire thing up. And, and I wanted to see how solid it was. I knocked on it first and it didn't knock. I took my finger and pushed on it. And my finger went through the entire thing. I've never got out of a crawl space so fast in my life. I was ready. I thought the whole thing was going to come down on my head. It, I, I was scared to death. I got out of there and I didn't buy the house. I didn't want that much work. And uh, I, I don't mind doing some cosmetic changes, but I didn't want to have to do that. It was in very, very bad shape. Let me ask you today, how important is the main beam that supports your home? That's very important, right? How important is the main beam that supports probably the greatest financial investment that you'll ever make, your home? That's a big deal, isn't it? How important is the main beam that supports the home, that supports the roof that you want to stay over your head, not fall on your head, right? That's a big deal. Let me ask you today, how important is truth? How important is truth? Today, truth is infinitely more important than anything in this world. Today, truth is the most important reality in this life. It's more important than any beam that supports any house because truth is the reality that's supporting your entire life and not even just your life, your eternity. It's everything. And today, lies like termites are eating away at the foundation of truth. More than ever, we need to shore up our foundations and make sure that we're basing our lives on truth. So what is truth? In our text, Jesus is going to address this situation in the lives of his followers, and he's going to point to them to the only truth that matters in this world, and that's the truth that we hold in our hands today, the truth of Scripture. The most important thing in your life today is accurately understanding and applying the truth of Scripture that's the most important thing in your world, in your life, is being able to understand this book accurately and applying that truth to your life. And that is what Jesus is going to teach us here today in this text in Luke chapter 24. So let's get into our text. Let's dig into it and, and see what we can learn here today. We're going to go back to verse 13, and that's where we're going to start walking through this chapter here together. It says in verse 13, uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other all about all these things that had happened. Well, for us to understand our text this morning, we're going to have to understand who the them are, right? And uh, what are these things that they're talking about? So what are the them? Let's go back in the, earlier in the chapter, and actually we can go back previous to the previous chapter to find out who they are. Uh, see, Jesus, in the previous chapter, 23, he was crucified. 
Uh, he was nailed to the cross and he, uh, he died there on that cross. They took his body down and they buried his body. And chapter 23 closes with some women gathered together preparing spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Uh, it comes to the Sabbath day and they say that they rested there on the Sabbath. Uh, that's the final verse of the chapter. And then chapter 24 begins at the first day of the week with those same ladies taking those spices that they'd prepared to bring them to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Well, you probably know like I do, they got to the tomb and they didn't find the tomb the same way they left it. When they got to the tomb, they found that the stone was rolled away. They found, they, they looked inside and the body was gone and they, saw, they found some angelic messengers there sharing there with them that Jesus was not dead, that he was alive. And so they took and they ran back to uh, the apostles and the other followers of Jesus that were gathered together and they told him everything that they saw. The Bible tells us that Peter ran on ahead and he went to find out, hey, is this true? He, and he found it exactly like they had said. So who are, the, who are the them that are going to this village named Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem, walking to this town called Emmaus? Well, it's two of those followers of Jesus that were gathered there that day. They had heard the witness of those ladies. They had seen everything that had transpired that week. And they'd heard even the testimony of Peter as he got back from the tomb. And those men, they left that day and they left Jerusalem and they're walking to probably their home seven miles away in Emmaus. And they were talking together about those things that had happened. And of course, those things are the things that had transpired that previous week and in, in that morning there that, uh, of that day. Let's look into the next verse, in verse number 15, and we're going to see uh, some more of what's going on here in this passage. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said unto them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Now here in this verse here, we see the condition of these two followers of Jesus. We're not going to spend too much time here, but I, I, I want to make some statements here regarding this. They were sad. They were confused. And understandably so. They didn't recognize Jesus, but he joins up to their group as they're walking. And that was a normal thing. Back then, they didn't have cell phones to, to look at while they were walking. They didn't have podcasts to listen to while they were traveling from point A to point B. They just had conversations. And so these two were going together and there's a stranger joins their group. And that was just normal activity. So there they were. There were all three of them walking along as they were going to Emmaus. Let me quickly make this point. They were there in a painful spot in their life. All of their dreams, all of their plans, all of their hopes were crushed on the cross. They didn't understand what was going on. They were so confused. But, but let me, I wanna, the point I want to make is this. Who joins with them in their pain? Jesus did. Friend, today, if you feel alone in whatever pain you're going through in your life, if you feel alone, you feel like nobody understands you, you feel like nobody's with you, today, let me encourage you as a follower of Jesus, He is with you in your pain. You may not recognize Him. You may not expect Him, but He is there with you in your pain. And you are not alone. So Jesus, He joins them in their journey. 
And, uh, and we're not going to dig into this either, but it's kind of interesting. Did you notice how Jesus joined the group? These are, you may say, this, I don't understand this. They're followers of Jesus. Jesus joins their group and they don't recognize that he's standing there right there next to it. How didn't they see and understand? Well, I can't explain that to you. I don't know why. I wasn't there, obviously. And, and we don't know exactly why he didn't understand or didn't, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. Although we do see this other times, right? Mary was there in the garden and, and Jesus appears to her and she thinks he's the gardener, right? Uh, she didn't recognize him. And here we see two more followers of Jesus where Jesus joins them in his glorified body and they don't recognize him. There could be a couple reasons for this. It could be that there's something about his glorified body that may be just a little different that they just don't recognize him right off the bat. Um, it could also be that they didn't recognize him because they didn't expect to see him. They were surprised. There's no way it's Jesus. So they don't expect it's Jesus because they know where there. They think they know where he is or they don't expect to see him. It could be, and this is probably what I tend to believe, that he was hiding from them and he hadn't revealed himself to them, which is why they couldn't see who he was. But regardless, they didn't know that he was with them. So now we have three uh, people. Uh, Cleopas will learn the name of one of them, another uh, person walking with him. And then Jesus joins this group. And now, as they're walking along, so often as Jesus did, does, you know what he does here? Did you see that? He asks them a question. He said, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Jesus asked them what they're talking about. And that's the way Jesus so often gets into our lives as he asks us questions so we can reveal who, what we're thinking about, what's really going on in our hearts. So here's the answer. They asked him what they're talking about, and verse 18 tells us the answer. Cleopas says this. He says, one of them named Cleopas answered him and says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? So Cleopas, I wonder, and again, this is one place I would love to be and and see maybe played out in heaven if we get to watch the DVDs uh, of life. And and this is one I would love to see. I'd love to see the reaction of Cleopas there. Because I'm thinking... Cleopas probably is either irritated that, that he doesn't, this visitor or this tra- stranger doesn't know what's going on. He may be amused, you know, kind of sarcastic. Oh, you got to be kidding me. This guy, this, this guy doesn't know what happened this week. I mean, wh- what rock have you been hiding under, buddy? Right? I mean, that, I think that may have been what he was thinking. Or, he just can't believe that there's this guy who he says is a visitor because he doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't knew, know what had happened there that week and in the previous years. What are they talking about? Think about it. Jesus did miracle after miracle that time, and especially around that time there. Uh, That week specifically started off with Jesus riding into Jerusalem in a triumphant entry where people are waving the palm branches and throwing them down before him as they're expecting the Messiah has come. Jesus taught in the public all the time. They should have heard his teaching. Uh, there was the trial. Who could have missed the trial of Jesus? It was even bigger than well, than many other trials that have gone on in America, okay? This is the biggest trial to ever happen. There was the crucifixion. It was a public thing. And now, now today, Sunday, the first day of the week, there's the news off the New York Times, sorry, the Jerusalem Times, that the body is gone, the stones rolled away. I mean, how could they miss it? 
How could they miss this news? Well, we get more clarity on these things because actually they went ahead and told him those things in verse 19. Look at verse 19 as we get back into the text. And he said to them, what things? Again, he's asking more questions. They said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Pay attention to this part. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So they lay it all out before this stranger, Jesus. They were, all, they were obviously very much a part of what was going on. These Cleopas and his partner there, the traveler with him. They witnessed it all. They, they shared every, everything that had happened those few days. And in verse 21 again, it tells us the biggest problem and the reason for their sadness. Because they thought that God was going to do something that he didn't do. They thought that their Messiah was come. They thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. They thought that he was going to usher in the kingdom, which he did, but he did it in a way that they did not expect. Instead of a crown, he was wearing thorns. Instead of a royal scepter in his hands, he had nails driven in his hands. Instead of a throne that he was sitting on, they hung him on a cross. Instead of a kingdom, he was in a tomb. Instead of being worshipped and praised, he was crucified. Along with all of their hopes and their dreams. See, what they were hoping for and what they were dreaming of was a political victory and not a spiritual victory. I wrote that phrase this week and. It hit me in a different way this week following an election a few weeks ago. Lord, Jeremy, ask Jeremy, what's your hope in? Political victories here or the spiritual victories? <laughs> what kingdom are you interested in building? Are you interested in building your world or the kingdom of God? Are you interested in souls? Are you just interested in lives? And that's their problem. They were hoping for this political victory where the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the government. And in the end, that's why they were following Jesus. That's why a lot of them were following Jesus, really. Think about it. What did they constantly bicker with about each other? About who was more important? Who was closest to Jesus? Who was going to sit at His right hand in His throne, in His kingdom? Why? Because they wanted to be part of the action. They wanted to be sitting in the throne room of the Messiah when He come to rule and reign on this earth. They believed the truth. But they only believed part of the truth. They had missed half 
of the prophecies of the Messiah from the Old Testament. They'd only picked up on the parts that they wanted to see and they wanted to understand. They wanted to be part of this new kingdom that was going to come where the Messiah was going to rule with a, a, a rod of iron and was going to rule and, and, and the whole world was going to worship Him. They wanted to be a part of that. They didn't want to be part of the suffering Messiah. Verse 25 Jesus gives the answer. What is he going to say to these followers of his as they shared with him the reason for their sadness? He said unto them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus rebuked them. Why did he rebuke them? He rebuked them for not understanding and applying the scriptures accurately. They had a partial truth. But don't you know that partial truth is sometimes almost worse than no truth? Partial truth is so dangerous because we think we have truth and we stand on it and we're vehement about it. But in the end, we're wrong. We're just as wrong as the guy who has no truth. Partial truth isn't any better. We need all truth. And that's why he, he, uh, he criticizes them and rebukes them. See, it's not that the Old Testament didn't say the truth. It's that they didn't see the truth in the Old Testament. All of the truth. And that error was the reason for all of their doubt. It was the reason for all of their confusion, all of their discouragement. In fact, again, when Jesus came and he said, I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to raise again. Peter wouldn't have said, no, you're not going to be crucified. I'm going to stand and fight with you. No, Peter would have said, yes, Jesus, I can't wait. That's what the gospel is all. He didn't get it. They didn't get it. None of them did. And so Jesus is telling them now the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that the most important truth in history of the scriptures is how Jesus was going to come and he was going to die and suffer and he was going to hang on the cross. They were going to kill him there. But then three days later, he was going to be raised up again and new life. And he was going to send to heaven where he lives and rules and reigns to this day, interceding for us, his children, as we follow him, and obey him. See, the problem is when we don't accurately understand and exposit Scripture, you and I will get the same result. We will. We will. And this happened this week for me. And um, for me, I wish I, wish I, I could uh, just take a text and figure it out and write it down and, and be ready to go and share it. I, that's not, I rewrote this message three times this week. <laughs> three times. You know why? Because after I, Jenny would ask me, she'd say, how's it going? I, well, not very good. <laughs> I'm starting over again. <laughs> Why? Why? Because I want to accurately exposit this book. I don't want to make it say what I want it to say. I want to say what this truth is teaching, what the Word of God, what if Jesus was standing here himself, what he would say, this is what the text says. That's so important. Why? Because we have to have the real truth or if it's no value to us. 
we have to accurately exposit the Scriptures or we're going to follow and be misled with false truth and lies. And then the foundation of our lives is going to be built on something that doesn't really stand or really doesn't really hold water. We're gonna, it's like we're going to be standing on a house that the foundation is crumbling and the roof is coming down in a matter we got to fix the foundation and stand on something sure. That's why there's so many people walking around this world today. So many, let me just put it this way. So many believers, for instance, who believe the Bible is the Word of God, who love the Bible, who love Jesus, but the problem is, is they believe that, that Jesus' love for them is contingent on how they behave. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. God's love for me and for you isn't contingent on how good we do today. He loved me on the cross, and that settled it forever. He knew I was going to be a sinner. We all are. He's not amazed by my sin. My sin took him to the cross where he suffered and bled and died. He bore my sin on the cross. I'm never going to be able to impress Jesus by my works. What I do today, even on this platform today, it's not going to impress Jesus enough that he loves me more. Because he could never love me more than he loved me on the cross. See, when we have partial truth, it, it messes up our life. And we're living a, li- living a lie. So many believers, they walk around this world thinking that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus now, and now my life's going to be easy. This is going to be so much fun living life now that I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not going to have any burdens or have any trials. This is going to be great. Well... <laughs> You and I know better, don't we? This life is full of trials. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted for my name as a follower of me. See, if we believe partial truth, it will distort our reality and we'll be living a lie and we won't even realize it. Truth matters. We must make sure that we're not falsely applying Scripture because then we'll be expecting, and this is what their problem was, they were expecting God to deliver on a promise that He never made or that it wasn't time for yet. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Before they ever realized it was Him, He expounded to them the truth of the Scripture. And I love this. Look in verse 27. Jesus does this. He says in the the beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. Well, what's Moses? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So he's starting with the first five books of the Bible. And then all through the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Jesus went back to maybe Genesis in Exodus, and and he started taking them through all of those books of the Old Testament, taking them through the Scriptures and showing them all of the truth of Scripture concerning himself. He took them to those texts, and he showed them that he was in those texts. Not just the text about the ruling Savior and the ruling Messiah that was coming, he showed them that he said, no, I'm in all of these verses. I'm in all of these chapters. Well, actually, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, but he took them to all of those. He says, I'm in all of it. Every book, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. Today, if you read your Bible and you don't see Jesus, you are missing out 
on the point. Jesus is not simply the author of the word. He is the word. Every passage, every story, every chapter, they all point to him. Because it's all about him. You know, I like, to, I like to think in my mind of what passages he might have gone back to and showed them that day. He only had a couple hours because that's about how long it probably took them to take that journey. So he couldn't have started and gone through the whole thing. He had to hit a few highlights. And, and my mind goes back and I wonder what highlights he hit. It. I wonder if he took back to right to the beginning to Genesis chapter 3. Right after Adam and Eve sinned. And right after Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to them and he, and he shared with them, okay, this is what happened and this is the result of what you've done. And as, and as God was talking to them, He was talking to Satan in verse 15 of chapter 3. And He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise His heel. What is that verse talking about? It's talking about the coming Messiah. It's talking about the Messiah who was going to be born as the offspring of the woman. And she, He was going to come and He was... Now get this, what's the other part? Yes, he's going to crush Satan, but what's Satan going to do to the Messiah? He says he's going to bruise his heel. The Messiah was going to be hurt in this process as well. He tells them this right back in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3. I'm sure he went to Abraham in the life of Abraham when God told Abraham that, 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 that made that great statement to him, that great request of him. When he told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, the promised son, Isaac, the one that you didn't think that you could have because you were a hundred years old, but yet I gave you a son in your old age, that promised son. I want you to take the son who you love and I want you to take him up to the mountain that I'm going to show you of and I want you to kill him there and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to me. You know what I bet he told him? Isaac went up that mountain with Abraham. He probably carried the wood of the sacrifice there. He carried the wood just like I carried the cross. And he was laid down there and he willingly sacrificed himself. Or he was willing to. God stopped the process and didn't allow Abraham to go through with it. But he said on the cross just a few days ago, God actually went through with it. Because I was the sacrificial lamb. I was the lamb who was going to take away the sins of all the world. He said, that was me. I'm sure he took them to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus where it talks about the Passover when the people of Israel were going to leave Egypt. And God told them, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to kill the lamb and I'll take your blood, take the blood and I want you to put it on the, the posts of the door around you. And when I, the death angel comes over the city that day, if I see the blood of that lamb applied unto your household, I will pass over you and your family and the firstborn will not die. I'm sure Jesus took him into that passage and he said, you know, I am the real Passover lamb. And today, if my blood that was shed just a few days ago is applied to your account, if you repent and believe the gospel, then you will be saved and you will go to heaven. 
I imagine he told them all those things. In fact, I think about it, that's the exact time that was going on right then in Jerusalem. It was Passover time. While he was on the cross, lambs were being slain for the Passover. I'm sure he took back and explained all that to them as they understood. Oh my goodness, this is really true. This is what the scriptures really taught. He might have gone taking them back to Moses in the wilderness with the children of Israel when they were thirsty and they asked for water. And, and God told Moses, I'm going to go and stand against this rock and I want you to take your staff and I want you to hit the rock. And then water will come out. He said, I was standing there. The Son of God was smitten to give you everlasting life, the water of life that shall never run dry. I'm sure he took him to Isaiah chapter 53. What does Isaiah chapter 53 say? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the honor of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. Like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep are gone astray. And we have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He says, that's what I was doing on the cross. I was bearing the iniquity, your sin, your sin. That's why I said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if they still didn't believe, he probably went another verse and he says, you know what it said about this person that was suffering in Isaiah 53? They made their grave with the wicked. I was crucified between two criminals and with a rich man in his death. I was buried in a rich man's tomb. All of those scriptures, they talk about me. Jesus did all of this to notice before they even recognized who he was. And that's another very important point. They did this before they understood that it was Jesus himself standing before them. Now, why did they do that? Why did Jesus tell them this before he revealed himself to them? There's a very good reason why, and I'm so thankful for this. Jesus wanted the foundation of their faith to be the Scriptures. He didn't want the foundation of their faith to be the fact that he was standing bodily in their midst. He wanted them and their faith to be founded on the secure truth of Scripture. And today I'm thankful for that. Why? Because I don't have a living, breathing Jesus standing next to me today. I have His Spirit in my life, but I do have the eternal Word of God that I hold in my hands today. And friend, I'm so thankful that this is enough for my faith today. And it's enough for yours today. And that's the way God wanted it to be. He doesn't want us to rely on experiences in our faith. 
He doesn't want us to rely on good days and, and, and even great church services as we worship our Lord together. He wants us to rely on Scripture. And that's exactly what even the apostles did. I could take you back to, I won't for the time's sake, but I could take you back to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. I love this text. And in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing, and he says this, guys, I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've seen, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw Jesus glorified in his glorified body while he was talking there with two saints of old. I've seen some of the greatest experiences, but Peter says, guys, that's not what I base my faith on. He says, we've got a more sure word, something that's stronger, more, uh, that, that's bigger, that's better to base our faith on. And what did he say? It's the scriptures. Peter, who saw everything that he saw. Peter, who walked on the water. He didn't base his faith on those experiences. He based his faith on the truth of Scripture. And we should too. We see this again confirmed in the very next verses. In verse 28, it says, So they drew near to the village. They got where they were going. And he acted, Jesus acted as if he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, no, say, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Now, Jesus finally reveals himself to them. I don't know, maybe, maybe as he was breaking bread and, and he was doing that, they realized, oh, whoa, we've seen this before. Or, or maybe, maybe as he was stretching out the bread to hand it to them, they saw his wrist for the first time and they could see the mark and they realized, Oh my goodness, it's Jesus. Or maybe he just revealed himself to them. I, I don't know the answer. But we do know what they said. And they said, didn't... And again, notice the timing. When did their hearts burn within them? When he revealed himself to them? No. It says when he opened to us the Scriptures. Again, their hearts didn't burn when He revealed Himself. Their hearts were burning. Their hearts were on fire, with, with, inflamed with the Spirit of God because they had seen the truth and were understanding the truth of Scripture as God was revealing it to them. And that is powerful. Here's what's exciting for you and for me today. Again, I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you believe you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't have Jesus as flesh and blood with us today. But today, each one of us, probably whether it's our phone, whether it's our iPad, whether it's a, a script book like this, we have the eternal Word of God. And friend, this book that you're holding in your hand is the truth that will set you free, that is the foundation of your life, that is the most important reality in your world. It's not what's on the news today. That's not the most important reality. It's not whether you've had a good day or a bad day. No, our life is founded upon the truth and the reality of Scripture as Jesus has revealed it to them. 
Today, there's literally nothing standing between you and I and an accurate understanding of Scripture. We have it. We hold it. It's right here. We have the Spirit of God that teaches the truth. There's nothing standing between you and I and having our hearts warmed daily as the Holy Spirit of God explains to us the Scripture. Yes, it is a battle. I, I, I'll be the first to admit to you. It is a battle. You say, I, and, and I don't understand it. I don't understand why some days, I, I do know it's, it's the flesh and Satan. They're fighting against us loving the Scriptures. But there's days when I will just love the Scriptures. And man, I can't wait. It's so awesome. I'm telling everybody about what I read in Scripture. And then for some reason, the next day I wake up and there's just this, this wall. Like, I, I, like, nah, I, really don't. I don't understand. I know it's a spiritual battle. I know it's hard. But what I want to reveal to you today and remind you today is that the choice is ours. There is nothing stopping you and I from having a passionate relationship, relationship with Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture. We just got to make that choice. This isn't where it ends, though. I want you to look at a few more verses in the end of this chapter. Because a burning heart, it produces a burdened heart. In communion with God, it produces commission. Look in verse 33, it says, And they rose. Those people, after Jesus left and vanished from their sight, He disappeared just as soon as He came. And now they were left alone. And it says they rose that same hour, that nighttime hour, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. <laughs> Don't you love this? They got up even though it was, it was nighttime, it was dark outside. And they took that long journey, a seven mile journey in the dark all the way back to Jerusalem. Why? Because the truth was burning in their hearts and they could do nothing else. They, they couldn't sleep. They, if it was me, I'd be sitting there with Cleopas saying, Hey man, we might as well go back to Jerusalem. I'm not sleeping tonight. I don't know about you. But we might as well just get on the road and go back. Because you know that's the first thing we're going to want to do in the morning. Let's just go right now. I mean, I can't hide it. I can't. We got to go tell somebody what we've seen and what we've heard. And how the scriptures... They make sense to us now. We understand what has happened. We know why Jesus was crucified. He is the Messiah. And you know what? When they didn't find the body, we know now why. Because He's alive. Because we've seen Him. They had to go tell. When was the last time the truth burned in your heart so powerfully that you had to go tell somebody about it? I remember many times in my life, of, I remember the first time I started to see, somebody started pointing out to me the truth that we're learning today, that Jesus is in every chapter of the Bible. He's in every story. He's in every parable. Jesus is the whole point of the Bible. And it was so awesome as I would uncover a new truth about Jesus in the Old Testament. You know, there's a lot of people that say, man, I don't want to read the Old Testament. It's a bunch of borings. No, It's awesome. I, well, I, no, we won't go there. There are some parts that are harder to understand and harder to get through. I, I, I'll, I'll admit that. But friend, it is so awesome to read through those Old Testament passages and to see Jesus there. 
It's, it just comes alive. Why? Because that's what the book is all about. Jesus. And I couldn't wait to share with people. I remember specifically I was reading a book on marriage and, and I love to read books on marriage. It's something I'm trying to invest in really heavily. And uh, so I, this is a subject I'm, it's important to me. And I, I remember one specific book I read on marriage and where I understood in a different way what God meant by marriage from the Scripture. And man, I, I was so excited to go tell every married person I could why. I thought, I mean, I can go save any marriage out there today. Why? Because this truth was so real. And I was passionate about it. I remember when I first really, really understood the gospel. I couldn't wait to share it with people. I, can re I remember, even though I sang this song as a kid, I remember when I started to really sink in as an adult the truth that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Not because of how good I've been today, but because He loves me unconditionally. Friend, that drives us to our knees, that humbles our hearts. And I remember when that truth really started sinking in. Today, when was the last time truth really began to stink, sink into your heart? Because of this, we will not start a fire in another's heart until there's already one burning in our own. This world is empty. They're searching for the truth all around them. We have that truth. We have the Scriptures. Would we dedicate our lives once again to understanding Scriptures? Would we dedicate our lives once again to spending time in the Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to light a flame in our hearts as He teaches us the Scriptures? Would we even just dedicate ourselves... It's coming up a year where we're thinking about, you know, challenges, writing goals, right? Would you just challenge yourself today? You know, I can make this goal right here. I'm going to attend a worship service here at Ashland Church every Lord's Day, every Sunday next year. And I'm going to study the Bible as our pastor teaches us the Bible. You can make that commitment, right? Maybe you need to join a BFG where we meet together weekly and we open up the scriptures and talk about the message and, and study the Bible together. That's a commitment you can make. Would we dedicate our lives as well to fixing all the broken foundations of people in our world? People who've been caught up in the lies of Satan and have let those lies eat away at the truth. Would we help them replace the lies with the truth and help them build on a sure foundation the eternal truth God's Word.